Good morning. I want to begin before I have you stand so we can read the Bible, uh, our passage this morning. We'll read, it, we'll read a chapter, but we're not going to go do the whole chapter. But anyway, I want to just uh, start with this for us in our prayers and many other probably ways. But along with many of you, I've been burdened this week and so much the more as I read and learned about what is called the Equality Act. And I think that probably a lot of you have heard of this. It's H.R. 5, House of Representatives. It prohibits, it's, it's written in such a way, prohibiting discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. This horrific bill passed the House on Thursday. That was no surprise. It will be voted on in the Senate within the next couple of weeks. Franklin Graham said, and he, he sent out a whole thing which would be good for you if you, haven't, if you don't know much about it. He, has a, he wrote something that would be really good for you to read. But he simply said, we cannot remain silent. Mark Melosha, who was the former Washington State Senator, he's now the Executive Director of Family Policy Institute of Washington. He said, quote, we prefer religious liberty and free speech, not radical social experimentation at our children's expense, unquote. So I want to just ask you to be praying about that. If you're not aware of it, you need to be, and we need to be praying. This is what I said. What do we do? We pray, we stand, and we live the truth. We live in the truth. Secondly, we contact, and I've already done this. You get form letters back, that's okay. You can call them or on the website. Senators Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell. And then the final sort of check is keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it goes, springs the issues of life. And so that's Proverbs uh, 4.23. So this morning fits very well, and I didn't try to make this fit, it just does. When we're going to the book of Peter, the title is Faith and Hope in God. Our faith and hope are in God. Would you say amen? Our faith and hope are in God. I want to talk about that this morning because Peter begins where we must continue, that our faith and hope are in God. So if you would stand, I'd like to read 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd like you to read along in your Bibles. I hope you have them or your, your device. It's just important to take the Word of God in in any capacity that we possibly can. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though, you, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, 
who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now, which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So Lord, we love your word and just to take it in, to read it. We know it's alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the joints and marrows and thoughts and intents of the heart. That faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That your word is a lamp and a light. Your word is truth. And in your word, Jesus, you prayed that we may be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth, is what you prayed. So Lord, sanctify us this morning. Wash over us with your word. Cleanse us from all of our, of our iniquities. And wash over us, Lord, in such a way that when we leave here, we know that we've heard from you. We've know, we know, Lord, that you are present among us in your word, by your Holy Spirit. As we take communion to wrap up our time this morning, Lord, please grant to us the remembrance in our minds and hearts that move us back to the foundation that our faith and our hope are in you. We love you. Please bless now the things I prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So again, Peter begins where we must continue, that our faith and hope are in God. Our faith in God, as Hebrews tells us, is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, we don't yet see it, but there's substance to it. It's the substance of things hoped for. So as I look through these verses that we just read, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Peter mentions faith and believing and trust many times. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's our faith. Uh, verse 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Faith, believing. Our faith in God is the substance of things hoped for. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, what is that? The salvation of your souls. Verse 21, again, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus is alive. Raised from the dead. Now, that's our hope in God. Uh, excuse me, our faith in God, our hope in God is not in what might be. 
Our hope in God is in what will be. And when you look at the, hope, the word hope in the Bible, it's always a determined thing that is going to happen. We're not following cunningly devised fables that Peter wrote in 2 Peter. We're not following some track that's off course. What we have been promised, our hope is in what will be. It's just a matter of time. That's what it is. It's a matter of time. Down through the ages. So as I look at time here, verse 5, salvation ready revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Verse 9, receive the end of your faith. You know, it's just a matter of time when God's going to wrap the thing up. And that is the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets prophesied of the grace that would come to you. It's just a matter of time. It's determined. It's assurance. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he testified the glories that would come later. So they're, they're looking for saying, what is this? What is this? What? We'll look at that in a moment. But the whole point is that when we talk about hope It's not in what might be, it is in what will be, because God is faithful. God can do it. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Has he not said, and will he not also do it? You betcha. (laughs) Verse 13, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of time. Our hope is going to be completely satisfied. It's substance. Verse 17, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It's temporary, this life. And I want to encourage you as I want to encourage myself. Our faith and hope are in God. In him we have an assurance of the things that are going to be coming along and he is going to complete the plan he has made. His purposes will not be thwarted and we are a part of his plan as we'll look at in this beginning study. Verse 20, he indeed was foreordained, notice, before the foundation of the world, before time. He was foreordained but was manifest in these last times for you and for me. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory that your faith and hope are in God. I just want to nail that because that's what the Holy Spirit nailed me with in a good way. My hope and faith, my faith are in God. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. And we're going to wrap up verse 13. So be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind. How are you thinking? How am I thinking? I will tell you, as you know well, this last year has been... (laughs) Difficult, to put it mildly. And it can really wrap us up in these thoughts and thinking. I'm saying this morning, let's get our thoughts and thinking back on our faith and hope are in God. And if he is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? God is going to wrap this thing up one day. His kingdom will be established. I'm going, yeah. And that's what the Holy Spirit just minister to me. In fact, it's been a couple weeks now. I've just been realizing just freshly that, hold on a second. We're talking about God. We're talking about God the Father. We're talking about Jesus the Son. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's as though the Holy Spirit said to me, what's your problem? (laughs) What's going on here? How are we handling things? How am I handling? How's my faith and how's my hope? It can get so derailed so easily. And so we are in these last times being readied 
for the revelation of Jesus Christ and the salvation of our souls. Jesus will be coming. It's just a matter of time. Our souls, that's the immaterial image of God that is the essence of who we are. Mind, emotions, and will. That includes the body by which we express ourselves. So these bodies wear out, and God graciously has a new build, a building of God, and I mean, with an eternal heaven. These bodies were created so that we could communicate who we are in essence. And so you have trichotomists who would believe that's three. It's body, soul, and spirit. You have the dichotomists who say, no, it's two. The, the spirit and the soul are interchangeable. And there's good arguments on both sides. So we're not going to get into that this morning uh, as far as this. But we, what we read in Peter, you could almost outline the book of Peter by our souls. He says, our faith and hope, our faith and hope in God saves our souls. God does that. Can we have that up there? God purifies our souls. Our faith and hope in God purifies our souls. Now, fleshly lusts war against our souls. They war against us. Peter's going to talk about that. Our faith and hope are in Jesus. You got to get an amen on this one. The shepherd and overseer of our souls. Praise the Lord. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He oversees our souls. And our faith and hope entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Well, right in Timothy there. That's uh, Timothy. <laughs> We're in 1 Peter. <laughs> So he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now that dispersion, the word diasporus, is a term that refers to those Jews who were separated from their homeland. So he's writing to these that have been scattered. Much like the Jews in the Old Testament, they were scattered. These Jews were scattered and living in different parts of Asia Minor, which today is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to these who have been scattered through the persecution. Listen, our faith and hope in God is in God, not this world or the things in it. So we, Hebrews, it says, Abraham waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God, because he confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let's get back to, hold on a second, temporary pilgrims were looking for something way beyond this world. Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Second Corinthians, we know that this earthly house, this tent is dissolved. We have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. Do you groan? That's a good groan. What? Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is who? God, who has also given to us the Spirit as a guarantee. God's saying, don't question it. It's happening. You're, you're mine. So we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, but to be 
but for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are, our faith and our hope is in God who promised. It's just a matter of time. It's not what might be, it's what will be. Elect, for, now we're getting into some theological stuff here. Elect, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now I think Peter is wanting to get to that last. Grace and peace be multiplied. He's going to lay out some things for us this morning. He's saying grace and peace be multiplied, because that's what we have here, is the grace and peace of God for our lives, no matter what's happening. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But the Trinity is revealed in the Bible. This is one of the verses. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And there are many others. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, after Peter had spoken at the Jerusalem council, James stood up and said this, Acts chapter 15. Simon Peter has delivered how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take, out a, to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. So this was always God's plan for the Gentiles. Just as it's written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has, been, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Here it is, verse 3. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Wow. Our faith and hope are in God. God is omniscient. God knows everything. God cannot learn anything. So God challenged the false prophets. To say what's going to happen in the future. Tell me. Isaiah. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, false prophets. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's God. Our faith and hope are in God. He knows all things. He can learn nothing. Known from eternity are all his works. It is impossible for us to think and know as God does. Are you okay with that? How do you think when you know everything? Now, I have these moments of insanity when I think I actually know better than God. And this sheer folly, what I'm saying is, I trust myself. I hope in myself and not God. And I go, yikes, <laughs> hold on a second. I'm so happy that God's God and I'm not. And you should be too. When I think I know better than God, I must be honest along the track that we're on here and must wonder, why would God ever choose me? Why would God ever elect me if I'm honest? But it doesn't shake me up because I believe the gospel and God chose me. It's that simple. I'm elect according to the foreknowledge of God. How does that work? I have no idea, but I'm thankful. 
That God's revealed that. He's declared that to me for my heart and to you for your hearts who have accepted Christ. Well, somebody might say, well, that's not fair. Well, why isn't that fair? Well, what if God didn't choose me? Well, do you believe the gospel? Yeah, well, then God chose you. I don't want to believe the gospel. Well, maybe God didn't choose you. I mean, this is, this is an interaction that we could, <laughs> we can't go many places with it, but this is what we're dealing with. We have a God, and we put our faith and hope in him because he knows everything. In fact, I tell God, you know, you chose me. You know everything. You chose me. I'm your problem. Now, just as clearly as the Bible declares God's election and foreknowledge, it also declares that God's invitation to salvation must be a choice that anyone can make. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans, many of you know it well. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Believe the gospel. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, it's linear. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, I don't know, you might be saved. No, you will be saved. Do you believe the gospel? Our faith and hope are in God. And his gospel and his son. He goes on. For with the heart one be these unto righteousness. In other words, it's a heart issue of righteousness. And when I look at my heart and I know my need for a savior, it's because I understand I'm very unrighteous. I'm in danger of being judged because I am. I'm a sinner. So one believes his heart unto righteousness and with his mouth confesses made unto salvation. It's linear. There's a work the Holy Spirit does in drawing people through the gospel to come to faith in Christ and then know that they are saved. They're chosen by God, elect according to his foreknowledge. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all, notice, all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I say, awesome. There's going to be no sort of boasting when we stand before God, except in Jesus Christ, our Savior. God forbid, Paul said, God forbid that I should both save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. God changed our lives through faith in him and hoping in him. So though we cannot possibly understand these things, we believe them because God has revealed them to us in his word, through his son, and by the preaching of the gospel. By the way, God's not going to be surprised. Now, you might think he will be for me. He's not going to be surprised when I get to heaven. He's the one who brought me there. He's not going to be surprised that you're in heaven, though some may want to go, really, you made it? And they're going to go, you made it? <laughs> Romans chapter 8, you know, 28 we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom, here it is, he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. If you want to know God's will for your life, there it is. God has predestined you to be more, become more and more like Jesus. That's his plan for you. That's his perfect will for your life and for mine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren, 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, past tense, these he also glorified. God sees his complete work in your life through the gospel, believing in Christ. And he called you, predestined you, sanctified you, and he's gonna, you're going you're gonna to see him in glory. Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. I love it. Here's what God has declared. Again, Ephesians. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Being There it is again. Predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ. Now Paul's writing. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance till the redemption of the purchased possession, the praise of I just got to go, yeah. I mean, re- just, just read it. This is what's ours. His will, his purposes. And I just believe the gospel. And I find these riches in Christ Jesus. I find these things that God has said are out of this world, literally. Because they come from the eternal God who is my refuge. Titus, Paul, a bondservant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of what? God's elect. And the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised when before time began and has but has in, in due time manifest word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God or say so what's God say preach the gospel that's where I do begin my work preach it and that's what Paul is writing to Titus and he says in the sanctification of the spirit verse 2 sanctification means set apart God set us apart for salvation as a chosen people. And God set us apart in salvation to be a holy people, a holy priesthood, a holy nation. It's all God's doing. Now, Peter will have much to say about holiness. Chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We'll get to that in another study. It's sanctification of the Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are sanctified and made holy people. But that it was given to us as a guarantee, poured out upon us through our faith in the gospel and forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ and then born again by the Spirit of God, sanctified by the Spirit of God. Without God, we are powerless to change anything, never mind our hearts. For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So this obedience means to hear unto be submitted. So the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to sanctify us to obe- in obedience. And the sprinkling of blood which speaks of the atonement. What Christ accomplished for us is how God has now, is now purposing in our lives to accomplish. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
I, again, I think Peter wants to get to this. These are called the Siamese twins in the Bible. Grace and peace. You cannot know the peace of God until you know the grace of God. And in knowing the grace of God, you live in the peace of God. That's what happens. And I hope this morning as we're looking at these things, it's, it's settling you again in the grace and peace of God in your life, in my life. Blessed be the God and Father who, according to his abundant mercy, begotten us again. Our spiritual birth was of God. Look at John chapter 1. Many of you know it well. But as many as received into them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born again. Our whole spiritual life is through our faith in the gospel. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope lives because Jesus lives. That's our living hope. It's him. First Thessalonians. I do not want to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, that's just a, a way of describing death for the believer. We close our eyes on the couch. When we wake up, we're in a whole different place. <laughs> Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, rapturo, the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Can I comfort you this morning? Whether you die before he comes or you're still there when he comes, we have an assurance this is what's going to happen. Titus, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify, there's that word, for himself, his own what? Special people, zealous for good works. That's what God's doing. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's an inheritance. A believers, as believers, we are rich beyond measure. Beyond measure. Incorruptible. Nothing can trash it. Nothing can cheapen it. Undefiled. Nothing can tarnish it. Nothing can ruin it. And does not fade away. Nothing and nobody can take it away. Because God's the keeper. God's the one that reserved it. Now, reserved to have for you. When we make a reservation in a restaurant or a hotel or on an airline... What do they ask you when you get to the hotel or you get to the check, check uh, you get to the, um, go on to the airline? They say, what name is the reservation under? Or they might say, what's your confirmation number? May I say to you, our inheritance in, is reserved in heaven for us under only one name. It's the name of Jesus. Because if I come in my own name, I am in big trouble. Uh, sorry, you got no reservation. Now, I don't know, it's just not there. But I come in Jesus' name. Who's the reservation? It's under Jesus. What's the confirmation number? One. For all of us. That's the confirmation. There's just one, and it's Jesus. 
That should encourage us. There's salvation under no other name but Jesus. Kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That kept, listen, is a military term. It means shielded or guarded and it's continuous. So God is standing like a soldier guarding us and keeping us. Paul wrote to Timothy, for this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believe and persuade. He is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Jude, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. And present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Our faith and hope are in God. In this you greatly rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while. Now, notice, though now, though now. It's just, it's just a time issue. Right now, what's going on? Though now. For a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. There's that though again. You happy to get rid of those, those. <laughs> May be found in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though, though now, there it is again, you do not see him yet believing, you, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There are a lot of scriptures here. It's just a little while. Our faith is being tested by God himself to shape it and forge it. And, make, and, and experience a deeper walk with him because of it. Peter in chapter 4, verse 12 said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though there is again some strange things happen to you. How many times do you think, well, man, this is, what's going on here? He's saying, don't do that, Peter, later on. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed... You may also be glad with exceeding joy. Do I understand that? Very little, but it's true. James says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work. You may be complete, lacking nothing. That's God's work in our lives, to find the fullness of Christ in every moment that I go through. Romans, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also have access by faith into this, this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, now here it is, but we also glory in what? Tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I wish it said knowing that tribulation produces character. Like I can tribulate. And it's gonna, no, it produces perseverance. God's work in our lives requires this. We're being prepared for a kingdom. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I, what I'm saying is, God, I'm ready whenever you are for, the, for this to be done, for the, for the trials to be over. Can we just get on with it so we get to the end and move on? How many of you would say, amen? Our faith and hope in God enables us to rejoice no matter what difficult things might come. Our salvation enables us to actually suffer joyfully. Not happily, joyfully. 
God uses suffering to refine our faith, making it more and more genuine. It becomes more and more valuable to us. Now, we, we just had, not, not yesterday, but a week ago yesterday, what became to be known as the ABCD Club, a book club discussion group. And this started back in October, just an email I sent out to about 10 or 15 people, and I had just read the foreword in this book, Live Not By Lies. And so I sent it out, and it, began, it grew to about 40 people. And so on Saturday, this is back in October, people kept joining. On Saturday, we had a meeting here as well as Zoom. And just to say one or two things, what was, the, what was the main takeaway and what are you going to do about it? What's the next step? Because this book, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to read a couple things from it. Because he has a chapter here called The Gift of Suffering. Now, what this book is, he went and interviewed people who had been through communism, totalitarianism, had, had been persecuted for their faith. He went about in these countries like Russia, Czechoslovakia, these people that had gone through it and were on the other side of it. Interesting thing that struck me when I read it was, as I sent the first email out in October, was as he interviewed these, before the communism, before the totalitarian, before any of that ever happened, everyone said, it'll never happen here. Never, not going to happen. And it did. And I am concerned for our nation. I know many of you, in fact, all of you, I think in some degree are the same. What are we experiencing? So I, that's why we started this and we talked about it. What's, what's a key takeaway? What's the next step? But in this, in this chapter on the gift of suffering, I wanted to read, if you, if, well, I was going to say if you don't mind, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> and I got to put on my, book, my glasses. He <laughs> says, this is the gift of suffering. I am, riding, I am riding on a Budapest tram with a Hungarian friend in her early 30s. We're on our way to interview an older woman who endured real persecution in the communist era. As we bump along the city streets, my friend talks about how hard it is to be honest with, her friend, with friends her age about the struggles she faces as a wife and mother of young children. Her difficulties are completely ordinary for a young woman learning how to be a mom and a wife, yet the prevailing attitude among her generation is that life's difficulties are a threat to one's well-being and should be refused. Do she and her husband argue at times? Then she should leave him. Are her children annoying her? Then she should send them to daycare. She worries that her friends don't grasp that suffering is a normal part of life, even, a, even of part of a good life, in that suffering teaches us how to be patient, kind, and loving. She doesn't want them to give her advice about how to escape her problems. She just wants them to help her live through them. I tell my friend that this is the argument that John the Savage has with the world controller near the end of Huxley's Brave New World. The Savage, I explained to my friend, is an outcast in a world that sees suffering, even mere unhappiness, as intolerable oppression. He is fighting for his right to be unhappy. And so... I tell my friend, are you? As we step off the tram and walk to our meeting, we talk about the irony of the social about-face that has overtaken post-communist Hungary. The woman I am about to meet, like all Christians I had been interviewing, allowed the suffering inflicted by the communist regime to deepen her love for God and for her fellow persecuted believers. Now, in liberty and relative prosperity, the children of the last communist generation have fallen to a more subtle, sophisticated tyranny. Colon. 
One that tells them that anything they find difficult is a form of oppression. For these millennials, unhappiness is slavery and freedom is liberation from the burden of unchosen obligations. Though the decadent... Though the decadent sentiments may be shocking because they have emerged in a post-communist country, they are by no means limited to young Hungarians. A 2019 NBC News Wall Street Journal poll found a distinct minority of young American adults believe that religion, patriotism, and having children are an important part of life. While nearly four out of five said, quote, self-fulfillment, unquote, is key to the good life. Similarly, the sociologist of religion Christian Smith found in his study of that generation that most of them believe society is nothing more than, quote, a collection of autonomous individuals out to enjoy life, unquote. These are the people who would welcome the pink police state. This is the generation that would embrace soft totalitarianism. These are the young churchgoers who have little capacity to resist because they have been taught that the good life is a life free from suffering. If they have been taught the faith at all, it has, if they've been taught faith, the faith at all, it has been a Christianity without tears, unquote. So as I look at the divisions in that chapter, suffering as a testimony of truth, admirers or disciples, I, I say, are you a fan or your follower? Suffering without bitterness, bless you, prison, receive, bless, receive suffering as a gift. That, that's in, I won't read it because we, we're running out of time here, but... Uh, that was by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you know who he is. And he went through the gulags, all that stuff. And this, this is a quote from him. Bless you, prison, receive suffering as a gift. Uh, expect the worst, show mercy to the broken. That's by Richard Wormbrand, who also suffered tremendously. Uh, another section. Let the weakness of others make you stronger. Another one. A, Christi- a Christianity for the days to come. And then at the end of the chapters, he always has see, act, judge, where he writes this quote. To recognize the value... In suffering is to rediscover a core teaching of historical Christianity and to see clearly that the, pilgrims, the pilgrim path walked by every generation of Christians since the 12 apostles, unquote. And Peter's going to get into this and we'll talk about suffering because it's a main theme of the book. But those are just some things to think through. How are we looking at things? How are we seeing our faith and hope in God? And these things of suffering that he's saying, it, we should be rejoicing in suffering. James says, the same, there needs to be this undergirding joy. That's not happiness. Like I said, I don't want to suffer, but I told the Lord, after wrestling with that whole idea of suffering, and what's the, you know, kind of what's the, how's that work? What's the point? I, I came to a point in my own heart, a great place. I just said, Lord, I'm willing to suffer because I trust you. If that's what's going to happen, then okay, I'm willing. And it kind of changed a little bit of the direction of my own heart. So he says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. So the prophets wondered about these things that were written. And they're trying to look into it. They're, it confused them. Sufferings and glory. They were, they, there's, these passages clearly spoke of this glory. And that's what they wanted, to, they wanted to believe, the glory. But it also speaks of the sufferings. They realized that these things were not something that they would understood until the Messiah came. But now we don't wonder anymore. It's not a question. We understand it. The price of our salvation was paid through the suffering of our Savior. Why? Because sin came into the world. 
and was fallen and ruined. But God, but God. We don't wonder any longer. It's not a question. We understand it. It's just a matter now of time. We're no longer searching. We're no longer confused. All this was God's doing. And we entered into it through the gospel. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, verse 13. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that he brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, I'm going to end there. We're going to take communion. But I hope this encouraged you to thank God the Father, to thank Jesus the Son, to thank the Holy Spirit of God. Peter begins where we must continue, that our faith and hope are in God. Our hope in God is not a might be. It's a will be. Just a matter of time. During God who saves our souls. God who purifies our souls. Fleshly lust war against us. But Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we must entrust our souls to our faithful creator. Now may the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, the benediction, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take communion this morning. And with communion comes the hope renewed. And that's why as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. So communion is reminding us of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You do show his death, Paul wrote. And then until he comes, it also promises what God has promised throughout the ages, that he is going to wrap it up in glory. The difficulty is we're in the middle. We're here. So as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, we do show his death until he comes. And so we're reminded again with the bread that Jesus paid it all. His body was broken. All our sin was placed on him on the cross. The cup is the blood that the ransom is paid. The cost of our redemption was the life of the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. So we're remembering these things that Jesus accomplished. And here we are. We're going to, and we want to, through communion, just remember, remember, remember. He's coming again. So as you take the, the communion, there are two. It's a little cup. It has a little thing on the top. And then there's a foil thing. I'm explaining this because I had juice all over me the first time I tried this. <laughs> So that the top one is just a clear, which has the bread that we'll, we'll take together. And then the, the foil has the cup, the, the, the juice representing the blood. And these are representative of his life given, his blood shed, so that we have salvation by faith in who he is and what he accomplished. Would you say amen to that?
So take the bread. We're going to sing together, and we'll take it together once everyone has that. Go ahead. 